Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me in Fort Lottie Lottie is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. What's going on, Cecil? Not much, Richie. What's going on? You know, it's been one year. It's been one year almost to the day that we had our first interview. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It has been a year, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. And that took place on January 30th, and that was with Dave Nicholas. That episode wasn't our first episode. It wasn't our second, but it turned out to be our third episode. And look, so we spoke to one Dave a year ago, and today we're talking to another Dave. So that, that worked out pretty well. It, it's magical. It's just magical. Nice. So I know we've got some events coming up. What do we got, Cecil? So the one event I want to talk about is the call for presenters for Code on the Beach. So we've spoken about Code on the Beach a couple of times before, right? But for everyone that's listening that might not know, Code on the Beach is a software engineering conference that happens in Atlantic Beach, Florida, right on the beach. And we have tons of great presentations, great presenters, and they're talking about everything from Node.js to Big Data to .NET to anything you can possibly think about. And it's a really good time. You can bring your family and you know just enjoy your weekend on the beach. Yeah, what I really love about Code on the Beach is that it's really small. It's really intimate. Yeah. You have a lot of access to the speakers and presenters. It's not one of these mega conferences, yep. and, it's, and it's, it has a very much a, a, of a community feel, but you know that you're not at like a code camp and it's a little bit bigger. It's a bigger thing than a code camp. So go ahead, put a presentation in. You never know. You may be speaking like we did last year. Yeah. So what else you got going on, Richard? Well, we still have our offer that our friends at Brent Ozar Unlimited has provided to our listeners. So if you rate and review us on iTunes, you're going to receive access to their really great course, the Developer's Guide to SQL Server Performance. It's normally a $300 value, but just for our listeners and just for rating or view us, you get it absolutely free. So if you go to awayfromthekeyboard.com, rate us, you'll get all the details and you'll get access to this wonderful course. But don't delay. This only is going to go for another week or two, I believe another two weeks, and then that's it. And then it's gone and you won't get access to that wonderful course. So go ahead, help the show, get your free course, do it today. And there's a lot of good information in that course. And again, it's for software developers, regardless of whatever stack you're building on .NET or Node.js or Java. I think there's something in there for everyone. So definitely go check it out before this offer completely passes you by. So who are we talking to today? So today we actually have two guests. Our first guest, Dave Noder, is a CEO and founder of Computerways, a Microsoft partner. Dave co-founded FLA.net user groups in 2001 and still runs a monthly Coders Cafe meetup. He spent three years as an officer and director of INETA, which stands for the International .NET Association. It used to. It used to. Where he oversaw the enrollment and support of hundreds of .NET user groups worldwide. Dave has also been organizing the annual South Florida Code Camp since 2004, which attracts over 1,000 developers for a day of free training and developer education. Our second guest, his name is Eric Lindgren. And Eric is a former teacher and software engineer who now focuses on software delivery and agile coaching. He lives in South Florida, works in Tampa, and spends a lot of time on the road. For fun, Eric likes to travel and learn languages. A native speaker of English and Swedish, 
Eric also speaks French and Spanish passably well, and a smattering of five other languages. Dang. Five languages, yeah. dude. He's like a walking Rosetta Stone, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Say something to him in Russian or Mandarin and see how he reacts. For a more professional view of Eric, please see his LinkedIn page. You can search for J. Eric Lindgren. You know, what I really love about talking to these two gentlemen was these both these guys have been involved in the community and put together large code camps and started communities from scratch and just have a wealth of knowledge on how to build community. Yeah. If you're interested in building a community, definitely take note of all of the good pieces of information that these guys share. And if you ever decide to actually go forward and do it, let us know. We can come talk about it on the show. Yeah, that's great. This episode was recorded on January 7th, 2016. And now our conversation with Dave and Eric. And now, away from the keyboards feature conversation. So before we really get into the depths of the conversation, why don't you guys introduce yourselves really briefly for everybody that's listening? Uh, hi, my name's uh, Dave Noter. I uh, run the South Florida Code Camp, a bunch of user groups, and I'm a software developer. Hi, my name's Eric Lindgren. I'm a delivery leader at Agile Thought. Uh, it's a software development company in Tampa. So, Dave, and I was just saying this to somebody the other day. Every time I, I think about you, I think the godfather of .NET in South Florida. Like this was is, it the well, horse head in your bed the other day? I mean, was that it? No, I put I put the horse head there. So. Oh, okay, okay, that's good. <laughs> no, well, it's you been a long it's been a long haul. I've been, uh, you know, I started out with in the early days of .NET. You, yeah. know, we had, you know, we have a company. I've been in business for 22 years. And .NET came around. We jumped on it. We started a user group. And then I got involved with INETA, the International .NET Association. And I ended up helping uh, start user groups all over the world. A lot of countries I never even heard the name of before. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So we kind of launched the whole .NET user group and community and... Uh, you know, I ran with that for about three years, and that was a lot of fun. So along the way, I really helped organize the Florida user groups, too. So, you know, we would travel to Tampa, and we started a user group. We helped in Orlando. And so both in South Florida and around Florida, uh, me and Jason Beards and uh, Shervin Shakivi all kind of jumped on the .NET bandwagon and, and really helped develop the community, I think. so. One thing I'd like to ask you is how different were things, you know, when they first started compared to how they are today in terms of the .NET community down here in South Florida? Well, there was no .NET community. There was, there was some user groups like the, the Gold Coast Tomix user group had been going for quite a while and I was active in that as well. But the, you know, the developer community hadn't quite come together and there weren't as many events. You know, now there's all sorts of meetups and user groups and events and and there's stuff going on to where there is always conflicts. And back then, there really wasn't so much going on. And the big things that were going on were hosted by Microsoft, like uh, Dev Days and some of those things. So The MSDN events. Yeah, the MSDN events at the theaters. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that Microsoft was doing. And, uh, but it was all you know, corporately driven with a certain message at each of those, which was okay. It was still useful information. So this was really an attempt to get more of a grassroots going, you know, to where, you know, the people in the community would come and talk about things that they were interested in and at the point that they were developing them, whereas a lot of the Microsoft stuff was 
oh, yeah, we got a new server, but we know that nobody's going to cut over to that for a couple of years. Like a new SQL server is exciting, but you know, all the corporations aren't going to run out and upgrade today. So it was more of a grassroots, what's going on now? What are people interested in? Uh, what are problems are they having now? So what's changed is now there's all sorts of groups. I don't know. You guys run one, .NET Miami. We do? <laughs> That's a rumor anyway. That, 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 that is a vicious rumor. I deny such rumors. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like we have not as many big events like on a monthly basis. All the user groups seem to be a little bit smaller on a monthly basis because I think there's so many things going on. And people don't quite have the thirst they had, say, 20 years ago when there was not much going on. So those are some of the differences. You know, there's a lot of stuff happening in Miami. Like Miami's very busy from not even just from the .NET side, but from, you know, the startup culture is big and, you know, the maker movement is becoming a big thing down there. But in terms of Fort Lauderdale, which is, you know, not that far away, like it, it doesn't seem like there's as much activity as there used to be. And so it almost feels like there is a, a space, right, where we could start having more of these community type events, you know, whether they're hackathons or meetups or whatever the case is, and really start to, I guess, kind of spread the locations, you know, these things a little bit. Yeah, that's a possibility. I think there's things going on, but uh, not that many developer things. You know, that's what, you know, there's maker things, there's, there's all sorts of stuff going on. And, and the problem is venues too, you know, like where do you meet? I mean, you guys, I know I've gone through a few iterations of finding somewhere. I've been, had the same thing up here. And uh, I think even in Fort Lauderdale, people don't even want to go that far to go to a meeting, including yeah. me. You know, and, uh, <laughs> and so do I have to drive more than a couple of miles? Well, screw it. You know? So, so I, and I think it's hard to find the right venue where you can uh, have a meeting for free, essentially, is what we're trying to do, and you guys too. And, uh, you know, you have to have a little bit of catering. There's plenty of sponsors around, but you don't want to have to pay for a hotel room or something like that. So I think the venues are hard to come by and hard to arrange, especially at night. So, I mean, it, it, that is I, actually that is our number one problem with .NET Miami is, is finding a consistent location. And, and some of the and I'll, I'll rattle off our criteria. If someone is thinking of starting a user group, these are the things that, that we think about is one, we need adequate parking that's mm -hmm. free, right? Because we don't want people, you know, paying for parking and have enough. We need a room for 30 to 50 people. Mm -hmm. And then we want uh, a, a location that's either really close within walking distance or something we could get in within a, a five minute car ride uh, for an after party. And the after party is what I've always uh, told the, the, the core team is that is Dot Miami, right? That's mm -hmm. where. Uh, the meeting is great, but I mean, at what happens afterwards and all the networking and all the uh, camaraderie and, and everybody getting together and, and just talking um, about life, I think that's where the real community really grows. And uh, those are our three criteria. And, and we're still, you know, looking for that right. perfect, and I, yeah, for, that perfect spot. And I think another thing is that it's somewhat centrally located and that it's right near a major highway. Wherever you have a meeting, you're going to get a different crowd because of how easy it is to get there. So I know, Dave, in addition to also the .NET community, you know, I also see you involved in some other, some other user groups. So, for instance, I, I know that you go out to meet with the Boca JS guys, for instance. I, I almost feel like there's a, a, 
another potential there for it to be a lot more collaboration between the user groups to really try and, and raise the community together. Well, I think so. You know, I like to, like I'm involved in the uh, Azure Florida too. Yeah, I would like to, the Boca.js in particular, because they're not Microsoft-oriented developers at all. One problem is now we're kind of coming along to uh, user group leaders, you know. You know, one thing, we don't, we don't have a lot of extra groups because somebody actually has to run those. And you guys know it takes some effort, uh, maybe a lot of effort, to get something organized. And I think you get a, a younger group without the community background, and they have a whole different view of collaboration. And uh, I don't know, I seem to have found a little bit of resistance, but, you know, not much. But it's just hard to, you know, you know how it is even when you have volunteers come up? Say, well, I want to volunteer. Okay, you know, do something for me, you know. <laughs> and so I, and I think a lot of these newer groups, which is great, but they're newer volunteers too. Like they're new, they're new at the whole volunteer and, and community stuff. And so, you know, they don't really hear that I'm volunteering to actually help them do something. So. Uh, I, I see the the whole volunteering. Hey, I want to volunteer. It's like as a as a leader, you need to be ready for those type of opportunities. And, and in like in an open source project where you have certain tasks kind of ready to go for newbies, you kind of have to do the same thing with your user group and say, oh, here's something e easy that you could do that's just ready to go. And it, 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 it puts effort from the, yeah. the leader perspective. But, you know, it, it takes a special kind of person who's done it before to just say, oh, I'll go ahead and run your communications. Right. <laughs> right? Oh, well, well speak, speaking of that, we have Eric Lindgren on the phone here, and uh, he's exactly an example of that. That You know, I've, I've seen him a few times. I've met him for a while now, I think. And he kept on saying, uh, oh, you know, I want to help with this. Oh, I want to help with this. So I finally heard him, and, I, and it did take a few times. And I said, oh, well, we need somebody to be in charge of speakers at, at Code at Code Camp, and he said yes, and he's doing a great job. I think it was at that Azure meetup that, um, you know, I mentioned it to you, and you said, hey, by the way, uh, maybe you could do this. And um, I've actually been involved in the uh, WordCamp uh, Miami organization for a couple of years now, so, you know, that experience helped me sort of transition into this role in that, you know, I sort of knew what was expected of me as far as, you know, trying to do stuff and not just be a fly on the wall. I've been been going to WordCamps for the past couple of years, and and only for the reason, and not so much because I do WordPress because I kind of don't, but it, it's really for the reason to see how they run things because they run things so well, and to get in, uh, to talk to some of those uh, leaders like Pata Dunbar, and and see well how how did you do this and how did you do that and and you know see if I could get any tips to run my organization better. Why don't we, you know, Davey, the you or Eric, kind of tell everybody that's listening that may not know what exactly is South Florida Code Camp, what it's about, how did it get started? Like, give us a little bit of history about the actual event. Okay, well, uh, uh, South, this, we'll be having our 12th annual South Florida Code Camp on February 20th, 2016. And it originally started with, uh, with a, a, a guy in Boston, Tom, uh, Tom Robbins who wrote a, a Code Camp manifesto many years ago. And he was actually a, a developer evangelist for Microsoft. And basically the idea was to have, again, this kind of uh, grassroots, um, you know, nobody gets paid, always have it on a Saturday, should always be free. He said there should be no 
sponsors, and he didn't include Microsoft. But the general idea is that it shouldn't be marketing presentations. It should be, you know, good, good quality developer content. And so, you know, a bunch of us around the country at that time uh, went off and started code camps. And, and so that's really how to start. The first one was at Nova, and we had about 100 people, I think. And that was a long time ago. And then we had, uh, I think, five or six at uh, DeVry University in Miramar. And since then, we've been at Nova, and they have a, they have a beautiful facility. But they're growing, too, you know, so it gets you know, a little bit more complicated to have it every year. But I hope we can st- still keep going there. And anyway, so what it is is a all-day free developer event. And uh, we will probably have 14 tracks in 84 sessions we might be able to get, it depends on how many rooms we get. And we won't hear about that till the end of this week or sometime next week, exactly what we get for rooms. And uh, basically there's 70 minute sessions or six sessions per track during the day. Uh, we have a, a breakfast, we have a lunch, we have an after party. We also have a, on Friday we have a little speaker reception too, because we have, we have a bunch of speakers. And uh, I don't know, that kind of wraps it up. We, we don't turn away anybody. Um, you know, I had a kid come in and talk about Ubuntu last year. So originally it was like a .NET code camp, but it's really much more of a software developer code camp now. So you, you, you started off at 100 people. Um, how many are you expecting this year? Uh, well, last year we had actually something a little bit over 1,300 registrations. Rachel says we had 1,000 people, so... I, I go on this. So we'll, we'll probably something about the same. So who would you nice. say that the code camp is geared to? Are we looking at students? Are we looking at enterprise developers? Are we looking at you know people that are getting into it? Like what's what's the target audience for the event? I think it's mostly you know practicing developers of some kind. We don't really have any particular tutorial start here hour of code kind of thing. Um, and, and it's such a wide range of topics, too. You know, what's a developer? You know, there's agile topics and JavaScript and web and, and uh, C-sharp and F-sharp and services and cloud. So there's a wide variety in IoT and, and a bunch of stuff there. And so there's a wide variety of topics, but they're all things where you're going to program it in some way. PowerShell's another one. Um, so they are all got some programming content or management of programming programming in some way. I know one of the big benefits for me when I started to go to South Florida Code Camp was I was able to see some technologies that I wasn't able to use or I didn't know about through my day job. You know, because, you know, most of us through work, you have a particular stack or a particular set of technologies that you're allowed to use. Right. And, and just out of my curiosity, I was able to to see and learn and understand like different things and different options. And I'm like, oh, hey, well, I don't I didn't know what a document database was. And oh, OK, you could write JavaScript on the server side. Well, wow, that's kind of interesting and different frameworks and that type of thing. So I, I think it's, it's this great environment to just expand your horizons a little bit, learn some new things. And also, too, it's a great opportunity to talk to a lot of the leaders in their particular their particular areas. So a lot of these people that we, we see their names on books or we see them on videos, but now I can actually have a conversation with this person. I can sit at a table and I can discuss and share my ideas. And, you know, I think that in itself is such a valuable experience to have for us. Yeah, I think for code camps, for user groups, for podcasts, too. I mean, I listen to you guys and .NET Rocks and other. It just, oh, I didn't know about that. So I bring it up, I install it, and, and give it a shot. 
And so even though I don't become an expert in it or really use it, at least I know something about what it is. So that's really helped me out a lot. Of, I know that. And then the networking, like we try to make sure everybody has a badge because a lot of times, you know, you know, run, you know, developers don't like to talk. So at least you have your name there. And uh, I'm hoping people will will mingle and you get to talk to other people about their experiences, you know, just as much as the experts, you know, because these other people may be in the same boat that you are and and you may find a lot of common ground and, and find some friends. One of the big things for me for CodeCamp was, yeah, we got up there and, and we see the so-called experts and, you know, you, you read their blogs and you're there and you're kind of in you know, awestruck because it's like whatever that's in that person's head, it needs to be in my head, mm -hmm. right? Because I need to learn what this guy or gal knows. But as I, I kind of continued on uh, being in, getting involved in community I and I started meeting some of these people, I realized that they're just normal people. I mean, it's they're not you know, these super smart brainiac people that only, you know, the knowledge can only get in their head and whatever little bit, you know, rolls out is what, what the rest of us gets. We just get the scraps. It's, you know, no, they just took the time on their own to put together a presentation and then just go ahead and deliver it. So, you know, that's one of the things that I encourage, you know, the, the people that I talk to is you can do the same thing that they're doing right now. And it's just put together a presentation on something you're passionate about for technology and just kind of share it, you know, with with everybody, and yeah. that way, and that way, you get the benefit of learning something uh, of what you like more, and get to a deeper knowledge. And the people who attend your session, which at a code camp will probably be anywhere from thirty to to sixty people, um, will get the benefit of your knowledge and and you sharing that. Right, and actually, that was one of the original things too. Is we tried to and still do try to get people that haven't spoken before to get up and give a talk. And sometimes it's a little bit safer in a big code camp where there's lots and lots of sessions. You don't feel like you're the whole focus of the event like you might at a user group meeting. And I know you guys have some small talks you try to do. But yep. to try to get you know new people up and talking, I, I try to encourage that a lot. Hey, Eric, do you know, have we, can, you can't really tell if we have first, a lot of first-time speakers, can you? No, I don't know that we do. Um, it's hard to tell from, I mean, I rec the names I recognize are obviously the people that I've seen around the community before. Um, and so I don't know that uh, we have a whole lot of first-time speakers. Although I did talk one guy into coming from our company, and I, I know it's his first time at South Florida Code Camp anyway. Yeah, it's, it's great. Ooh. It's great marketing too. You know, I mean, if you want to make a name for yourself, you want to be an MVP, if you want to find new customers, you know, giving a talk is, is fantastic. You know, it's better than putting out a, a website. <laughs> yeah, and, and I know I could point to the last three gigs, um, which essentially is the last four years of my life, I've gotten be, uh, because of my involvement in community. I mean, I mean, it's a direct, it's, it's not, hey, I met somebody as I was speaking at a conference. It was more like, oh, they seen me at this place and they, they heard me on, on the podcast or they, they, they know I run the user group they saw my, or they saw my blog. And it, let's bring this guy in because, you know, he, he has expertise that he's sharing with. And that is so valuable. And it's not that I, you know, it's one of those things where 
I've built that up over time. And, and it wasn't this, you know, in one year I said, I was going to have all these channels. I was going to do all these things. I'm going to have a user group and all this. It's no, it's, hey, you know, what, you know, and, and I remember having this conversation with you, Dave. What, how would I start a user group? <laughs> how, would, how would I do that? You know, and, and I, I think the questioning I asked you about that was, was really awkward. It was more like, what has happened around here? Why there's no user groups in Miami, right? right. It was really an awkward conversation. But at, at the end of that, you know, you just, you, you know, you, you, you told me if you want to do this, then, you know, here's some tips. Boom, boom, boom. And, you know, and I just followed it. Yeah. And I was just willing to, to be out there and bring people in and just get them together. So I think the, so, you know, the connections you make with user groups and code camps are, are great, like all the way around. And he mentioned the, the, um, the uh, uh, Orlando Code Camp, which I think is going to be on, on April 2nd, but they haven't quite announced it yet. And that's not too far away, and that's another great code camp. So, Dave, one of the things I wanted to dig into with, um, again, with South Florida Code Camp, what does it take to put on an event like this? You know, we, you know, we've all been to user groups or we've been to conferences and whatnot, but like, what does it take to make an event like this happen from a, from a planning and an organization perspective? Well, well, we're lucky to have a couple of good volunteers and, uh, Really, it's just uh, myself, uh, Rachel Termins, the the uh, co-leader, and uh, Eric and and Scott uh, Katarinkic, who does the website. And it's really just the four of us primarily that put the whole thing on. Well, my philosophy is just minimum administ trivia. You know, like we're lucky we can get. Sp- I usually do sponsors. Um, Eric's doing all the speakers. Scott does the website. Uh, Rachel, well, she's doing all, like the like the food, the registration, and uh, and a lot of other moral support. And we all work on sponsors, you know, at least to get the sponsors. And then Alec Funkhauser, <clears throat> Alec Funkhauser, and IT Prodcamp, which is a nonprofit which we've been running the money through for the last few years, um, you know, does you know that end of it. Um, and so it's really a, a, a lean, a leanly run thing. And luckily, we we just have, kind of have everything in place and and do it again each year. But it starts right after the previous code camp, you know, in terms of getting the venue. And in August, I put up the website. Uh, we start a call for speakers probably September, October, and start working on sponsors. So by this time now, we're just entering like the really busy part where. As Eric, you know, has just been passing around the the list of speakers, coming up with the tracks, you know, trying to get things nailed down for a final T-shirts and speaker shirts, the speaker dinner, the after party, all that stuff has to be organized here in the next week or two, pretty much, because you know, as I say, it's like you know, ten minutes to code camp at this point, and then the day of, we have a bunch of volunteers, probably have twenty volunteers, we have four or five at the. Uh, registration table we have a couple you know helping with t-shirts we usually have a couple helping with food a uh, couple with you know doing signs and things like that but uh and we actually ask people to bring water you know so that's kind of a volunteer thing everybody can do something um and and it, it goes on but it takes a lot of time you know it's certainly the you know for the four of us directly involved in it you know, we spend many, many hours on it. So what you're saying, it takes pretty much about a year or so of planning to, to make this whole thing happen. Yeah, I mean, basically we get the venue right away and then we can, you know, take a break for, you know, four or five months. And then we okay. start up in August, basically. 
But uh, Eric, why don't you you want to tell us a little bit about what it's been like on your side, planning and being involved in, in the Code Camp process? Well, it's actually been a lot easier than I thought it would be because uh, Rainer, who did it last year, and I don't know how many years he's been doing the speaker coordination, he shared all his information with me and, and Dave's uh, great support. It's just been a matter of collecting the information, sending out a few emails, and I have a feeling it's going to get a little hairy now the next month or two. Uh, leading up to uh, you know February 20th, um, but so far it hasn't been too bad. You know I, I expected it to to take a lot more of the time of my time than it has. I did want to mention Reiner, like he's act, he actually did the speakers for uh, geez, I think seven or eight years at least, and just he's in the middle of the last month of getting his MBA, and so he just really just didn't have the time to do it because he's all his free time is focused on that. And uh, but he's done a great job. But uh, I'm happy to have a new volunteer too. So speaking about that, and let's say I want to get involved in Code Camp, or yeah, I just wanted to come help out. Like, what are like? How can I become a volunteer? What are some of the things the volunteers do? What do they help out with? Well, just send me an email, and uh, I have a master volunteer list, and and then then we need we just we we need a couple dozen people. So if you can be there early in the morning to help out with registration, that's great. You know, we we put out signs, we we put the tablecloths on, we you know just help the vendors get in, we uh, do the red set up the registration, and then register the people. So so if you can come early, that's when we really really need people. Rachel's done such a great job with the registration; she's got it engineered so that the flow is good and you know it just works very well so so i have a question for you eric what does it take to 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 put on a a good presentation i think it requires some some showmanship you know if you think about the good presentations that you've seen one it requires expertise you you got to be uh sharing information that people are interested in but you got to do it in a in a way that's interesting as well you, you have to speak well have a good stage presence and also be very sure of of what you're saying one of the best ones i saw was actually a, a demonstration of how to create a 2d unity game in 70 minutes, uh, he basically walked us through how, how to uh, create a game in, in Unity 2D. And I, I, that blew me away because I'd never really been interested in game development or anything like that. Um, but just seeing the, the creation process and then seeing that sort of basic working game at the end of that 70 minutes, I thought that that was, that was really quite impressive. Yeah, I know for me, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do when, in my talks that I'm going to do going forward is, you know, really try and find a story. You know, how can I make it fun and interactive so people aren't, you know, they're not looking at their phones, they're not playing on their tablets, but they're actively engaged as to what exactly is, I'm talking about and what's going on. Yeah. And it, it's hard to fill up 70 minutes, right? So you, you have to be, you know, you have to have your core presentation, but then you have to be ready to talk about other stuff as well. I mean, the reason we have the longer time period is so that you can actually go through some development steps and actually have uh, a meaningful uh, uh, interaction, um, but if you're just doing PowerPoint slides, that's that's a lot of a lot of time to fill up. Yeah, actually, um, I, I think the opposite. I think it's easier to put together a 60 minute presentation than it is to put together a five minute presentation. I think with 60 minutes, you could actually go into detail of what your topic is. Um, with you know 15 or 20 minutes, or you know, or, or even less, it's hard to pare down like what is the core of what I'm talking about. You know, so some so the people can walk out with 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 this core knowledge. 
Um, it's I think when you start expanding on that, it, it gets a lot easier. Um, and I, I just what I do is I just say, okay, what's what what do I want to talk about? And then I just start putting it out, and then I start timing myself. It's like, okay, well, how long is this actually going to be? And in the case that I have 60 minutes, I'll just go um, up to about 55 or 50 minutes. But in the case of 70 minutes, I'll say, okay, I've got 60 minutes. And then that extra time is things for Q&A, things that, that you could let things breathe a little bit. If there's questions, if you need to repeat something, like if you see people who are kind of confused, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, you could be a little more interactive as opposed to if you just put 70 minutes together and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're, you're just rushing through things and people can't get their questions asked and there's not a real flow going on. It's just, I've got to get through the material. Yeah, have you ever seen these speaker idols where you got like five minutes? We haven't done one for quite a while, but uh, they're, they're a lot of fun. And to try to get a whole subject or one point even in five minutes in a lucid way is really, really hard. Are those, those like, ridiculously um, hard. are those like lightning talks, kind of? Well, they're lightning talks. They're even talks, shorter. But, yeah. yeah, and they're in their competitions, too. So they're fun to watch. Like, it's, it's amazing that people can get that much information across in such a short time. So is there anything else you guys want to mention about ConeCamp? Well, you know, we are trying to do an IoT uh, room. And so the idea is we take, uh, there's two rooms on the first floor that have a divider between them and open it up. And on one end, we'll have a bunch of devices and hands-on stuff. And on the other end, we'll have uh, some talks going on. So we have uh, both you know, people from Microsoft with Raspberry Pis and also um, a guy from Amazon and with some uh, 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 Hello devices and things like that. So there should be a bunch of hardware and a, and a bunch of good talks in that room. So we're looking forward to that. Always try to have something hands-on. So I think for you, because now that you just mentioned IoT, I'm sure one of the things that you guys see as you're going through the process of you know registering speakers and getting the event ready is you must often see the change in trends in the industry. So I can imagine a couple of years ago, there was not an IoT room, right? And probably a couple of years before that, there probably wasn't as many people talking about JavaScript. But now, you know, you, you're, you're seeing these trends and, you know, now more people are talking about document databases. Now more people are talking about IoT and we're talking about the cloud and all these different th- things. And, and so it must be a very interesting uh, perspective yeah. to look at how our industry is evolving and what's, what people, what do people want to do? What are people interested in? Right. Yeah. It changes every year. And we used to have uh, device things. We just didn't have the term IoT. <laughs> Right, you know, then it was more more maker or uh, or something like that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. the The topics do change, and actually, Eric can talk to it. We're now looking at the talks and figuring out what the tracks should be. Um, Eric, I don't know if you have anything to say about that. Well, uh, uh, so far we have a lot on web development and uh, mobile, and um, uh, and those were the big hitters, really. Um, we have that one IoT track that should be pretty interesting. Um, we have an Agile track. We have an archite- architecture track. Um, I'm thinking about all of them right now, but um, lots of good stuff. If you want to go look and see who the speakers are, you can actually see that right now at sfcodecamp.com. That's southfloridacodecamp.com. You know, we, there's so so many great talks and sessions listed that. 
you know, every time I go, I, I'm I'm torn. You know, I, I actually I, I will take the schedule and I will color code it of, OK, I got to go into these tracks. But, uh, you know, these are like second and third. Uh, so every every hour I, I have at least three things that I want to see. Um, so if anything, you know, there's, there's, there's always more than, uh, I ever have time to see. Um, and, and then you just have just the interactions between all the people, you know, uh, that's, that's really, um, been my focus in the past two years is, um, just going there and talking to people. It's, it's awesome. Complaint I get the most about code camp is that there's too many things to go to. Like in this time slot, I want to be three different places, Exactly. but, uh, that's a good complaint to have, I guess. So, gentlemen, why don't you tell me, I'm going to ask you the away from the keyboard question. What do you guys do when you're away from the keyboard? No, me? I, I walk on the beach uh, and take pictures. Actually, did I give you guys a calendar? I got uh, I do an annual calendar of sun, sunrise shots at the beach. So that's one thing I do, and I play a little guitar. No, I have not seen the calendar, actually. Okay. And then I, I volunteer at uh, the Lighthouse, the uh, Hillsborough Lighthouse. I do some work on it, do their newsletter, and I'm the treasurer for the Deerfield Historical Society. So those are my, my other volunteer things. What about you, Art? Yeah, for me, I, I spend a lot of time with my daughter. Uh, she just started at Stone Douglas High School. She's in the band, and so we, we have a lot of activities with that. Um, and then because I'm working in Tampa, I spend a lot of time driving. I think I put over 40,000 miles on my car last year. So, <laughs> uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a challenge, but, uh, this year should be easier They they're not going to require me to be on site quite as much. Gotcha. Wow. That's huge. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of driving. <laughs> uh, so, so I guess related to that, I, I love audio books. Uh, I've gone through quite a few of them in this past year. What are you listening to right now? Um, right now I'm listening to team of teams. Um, it's, uh, somewhat related to agile, but it's, uh, it's by the, the general, I can't remember his name right now, who, um, who, uh, sort of took over in Iraq when things were really going bad in 2003 and 2004 and sort of tells the story of how he had to transform the organization into what's basically an agile organization, um, where, where they were, um, being able to interact, uh, with each other uh, in a in a much more effective way with uh, you know real time sharing of information and so forth. It's uh, that's a great book. I've been reading a lot of uh, biographies. Uh, one that blew me away was uh, uh, one by I um, can't remember his name, but it's about uh, Lyndon Johnson. He's uh, five books in the series. Uh, each book's over a thousand pages, and obviously I'm listening to these, so it's not quite that painful, but. Uh, he he just tells Lyndon Johnson's story from from actually before his birth, you know, his his family history all the way through his presidency, and it's just amazing the stories that that uh, you know he tells about Johnson, uh, things that would really shock you uh, if you ever read those stories. Um, but usually, I just use the audiobooks as an escape from from uh, from everything yeah. else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So since since I have you on 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 the line, Dave, if if I was starting a new user group, uh, what kind of advice would you give me? Well, just do it. <laughs> I mean, basically, <laughs> if you can get one other person and go and sit down and have, have a coffee and start talking, I mean, you're on the road to doing it. And uh, as you say, like just find a venue that you can get a group of people together in meeting, 
And uh, meetup.com is a great tool nowadays. I mean, you can find meetups for almost anything, and it's really easy. If you don't have uh, too many meetings, and I forgot what the limitation is. They still have a free one, meetup.com, but I think. I don't uh, think so. Well, maybe not. But it's a relatively low cost. It's, what, $80 every six months or something like that? Yes. $10 a month, something like that. But that gives you a lot of reach. So anybody who's looking for the subject that you have will find you. And you can be as simple as meeting at a Starbucks. You don't have to do anything complicated at all. And then once you get started and there's interest, you can expand from there. Find a real venue, find sponsors, you know, find other people to help you do it, more importantly. And uh, it's pretty simple, really. Just do it. I'd like to thank Eric and Dave for being guests on the show. It was really great to have the opportunity to speak with them both. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTKpodcast and on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can also follow me at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where you'll get extra episodes and behind-the-scenes access to Away From The Keyboard. And don't forget to rate us at awayfromthekeyboard.com slash rate us to get your free Brent Ozar Unlimited training course. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have software developer and entrepreneur Eris Tesler. It's kind of like with code, right? There's a bunch of tools out there and... You know, if you can't find it, you build it yourself. Right. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing now with uh, with furniture. Okay. Go in now. Bye. Bye. We want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego. Yeah, you're really froggy there. Yeah, I needed to clear my throat. Let me get some water real quick. Let me clear my throat.